The scripture reading today is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and 32 through 40. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we don't see. The elders in the past were approved because they showed faith. What more can I say? I would run out of time if I told you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms, brought about justice, realized promises, shut the mouths of lions, put out raging fires, escaped from the edge of the sword, found strength in weakness, were mighty in war, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured and refused to be released so they could gain a better resurrection. But others experienced public shame by being taunted and whipped. They were even put in chains and in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in two, and they died by being murdered with swords. They went around wearing the skins of sheep and goats, needy, oppressed, and mistreated. The world didn't deserve them. They wandered around in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these people didn't receive what was promised, though they were given approval for their faith. God provided something better for us, so they wouldn't be made perfect without us. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to come together and to reimagine who it is that you are in our lives, to be reminded of who you see us as and how we are tied to one another. So we ask that in this moment you would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds to help us be present in ways that we can only be when you are with us. And may your spirit move within and through us in ways that we could never imagine on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first sentence I learned in Chinese was, Nai nai wa yao chu tanzu. I was five years old. My mother's mother had moved in with our family, and even though I did not understand a word she said, and she always smelled like tiger balm, and she seemed to my six-year-old self to be the oldest person alive in the world, she always had a stash of rock candy in a shoebox under her bed. And so my first sentence was, Grandma, I want candy. Thus, any intimidation or shyness I may have been inclined to feel was overridden by my deep and insatiable desire for candy. I had few memories of her, but the one of me standing before her as my tongue found its way to the right shape and my tone found its way to the right curve as she sat on the edge of her bed with her hands resting on the top of her cane, that image remains with me today.
I came to learn much later in life that she needed that cane, not because her body was older and not because she wasn't as strong as she used to be. She needed that cane because when she was my age, her mother started wrapping her feet tightly, curling her toes over and under, gently breaking, but firmly breaking them, and then her arches as families of standing did to mark their privilege and enhance her beauty through lotus feet. This was until she was about 13 years old when her older brother, filled with revolutionary fervor as the Qing dynasty fell, defiantly unwrapped her feet and declared her liberated from a rusted opium-addicted empire. Decades later, those same feet would corral and carry four children along with a carefully concealed stick stacked with gold rings on a boat from Nanjing to Taiwan as they fled Mao Zedong's Red Revolution. And there, amidst ramshackle refugee housing, shared latrines and rations of rice, she and her tuberculosis-infected husband, my grandfather, raised four of their six children into adulthood. Throughout the years, that stack of rings grew shorter and shorter, but not before each child made it through college. Faith is the reality of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Today, we are beginning a new sermon series about how to be a good ancestor. And before I continue, let me introduce myself. I realized I didn't. My name is Emily McKinley, and if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. And I serve um, as the senior pastor here at City Church San Francisco. Now, we're beginning this new series about how to be a good ancestor, and I first encountered this concept through the work of Daniel Heath Justice, an indigenous writer and scholar, in his book, Why Indigenous Literatures Matter. And while this is an articulation of generational interconnectedness that is distinct to our indigenous siblings, it is a powerful way for us to begin to understand what it means to be part of God's bigger story and greater work in the world, the ways in which we are connected to one another, whether we like it or not. And in his letter to this Jewish Christian community, which is why it's entitled Hebrews, the Apostle Paul writes with an intimacy and a familiarity, familiarity that can only come from talking with your own people. He knows what has shaped them, what animates their imaginations, and what lies at the center of their collective hearts. He knows who they are deeply because he is who they are. These are his people. And so as he lays out his case for how the story of God's people continues and is expanded through the person of Jesus, this chapter represents the first half of his theological crescendo. Faith, he declares in his characteristically paradoxical style, faith is the reality of what we hope for and the proof of what we don't see, which at first has a kind of, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound kind of quality to it. But then he gives us a little more to work with. The elders in the past were approved because they showed faith. And here we begin to see that faith isn't just an inward reality, it has an outward expression. Faith is cultivated in the trustworthiness that we experience through God and is harvested in the ways that our lives concretely reflect a conviction of that transformative work of God, which brings about justice, healing, and peace. But then, what is faith? Is it belief? Is it the action? So this word, then, that gets translated as reality in our passage for today, hypostasis, oh, 
hypostasis, sorry, it always messes me up. Um, hypostasis is the same word that Paul uses a lot when he talks about Jesus. Jesus is the hypostasis of God, which is the very being, the foundation, and the stage or canvas of God, maybe is a way to think about it. But here's the thing, in regular old Greek, hypostasis wasn't such a like kind of woo-woo word, right? It's a word that was primarily about property, actually, the stuff that undergirded daily life. Hypostasis was something like the foundation that holds up the ground, this wooden floor, right, that we stand on. Even so, what Paul is trying to say is that the evidence of our faith is more than something so concrete. It's not just limited to what's concrete. It can't be found in a form of, of a piece of paper like a deed to a house or a ring like a symbol of marriage component. It can't even be found in a DNA test in spite of Lizzo's assertions. Jesus is the deed and the house. He's the ring and the promise, the test and the DNA. Or another way to think about it, is like invisible ink. Now, I learned about invisible ink way back in the day and how it works. Um, and so what it is, you, you take some lemon juice and, well, just lemon juice, actually. Um, you use the juice to write out a message, but it only shows up when heat is applied. Faith functions in pretty much the same way. It might be there, but unless it's put to the test, unless it has to withstand some heat, you'd never know that it was there. And worse yet, you'll never know what it could do. Inwardly, faith might be present. But we can only know if it's there if it shows up outwardly. Inwardly, faith can move hearts. But outwardly, faith can move mountains. In a way, Jesus is the invisible ink of our faith. But like invisible ink, faith can only show up if it's activated. And so what Paul does next is take a roll call of the faithful, of all the folks who brought heat to the invisible ink of their faith, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, the giants of the faith. We skipped over that section today. Later on, though, in the second half of our reading for today, Paul offers two more collective, kind of collective portraits of faith. First, there are kind of the triumphant heroes of the faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Some were well-known, while others were obscure, and some really struggled to be faithful. And there were others that, frankly, I really struggle with who are in this list. In other words, they may have been triumphant in one sense, but it was not for lack of God's unwavering patience. The other portrait is of the suffering heroes, people whose lives never knew redemption, justice, or healing on this side of the veil, people who were ridiculed, scourged, and imprisoned, who endured denunciation, abuse, and imprisonment, people who, rather than abandoning their faith in order to minimize their suffering, remained faithful in the face of suffering and humiliation. And in these vignettes, we are reminded that faith, how it shapes, how it takes shape in any given circumstances, right, what it requires of us, and where it will lead us is rarely a path that we would choose if we knew, right? But it's always actually a journey worth taking. These portraits remind us that there are very few ways actually to do faith wrong if we're showing up as best we can with what we have. I mean, if someone as wishy-washy as Gideon and as problematic as Jephthah can get counted, surely I'm at least in the top 50%, right? <laughs> Not that anyone's keeping track 
hashtag Enneagram 3. Um, regardless, what Paul is saying is this. We are part of something much bigger than any one of us. And this brings me to the first way of being a good ancestor, cultivating kinship. Now, if you were with us a few weeks ago, you would have heard me talk a little bit about kinship, how it is less about blood quantum, a particularly painful concept among indigenous folks in the US, and more about relational connectedness. Kinship is what stands behind the question, who are your people? Kinship can be biological family, but it can just as equally be chosen family. It could be about ethnic or cultural affiliation, geographical identification, or possibly even the difference between those who say soda and those who say pop, and those brainwashed people who just say Coke, regardless of whether or not the fizzy water is brown, clear, yellow, or orange. Bless their hearts. Kinship can happen to us by virtue of happenstance, but as people of faith and purpose, we can construct it, cultivate it, and harvest it for ourselves and for those around us. The Apostle Paul is reminding his people of their shared lineage of faith, one which was established by a deep purpose, by, by a deep purpose, by a God who spoke the world into being and established humans as co-creative partners. A God who then fortified that promise uh, uh, and uh, through, a, through a covenant made with Abraham, the forefather of the faith, a God who carried that promise across space and time from generation to generation in accord of faith and faithful acts. This same God, Paul will later argue, this same God and same court of faith runs through the person and ministry of Jesus, who now makes it possible for all people to participate in that promise and story. In other words, Paul is tilling the soil of their hearts and minds of these Hebrews um, that he is writing to so that they um, that these folks might begin to cultivate kinship themselves, not just with those who are part of the Jewish tradition, because they already kind of feel a deep sense of that, but also those who are going to be and are currently being grafted into the family of faith. And it is because of that faithful work of those ancestors in the faith, their willingness to cultivate kinship, that they are gathered there and that we are gathered here. The stories of our ancestors in the faith are not only important, but essential. Their stories challenge us, strengthen us, and invite us to expand our imaginations for what is possible if we just take the risk to step out for God's vision of wholeness of life for all. But of course, these stories listed here and throughout scripture are not the only stories of faith that have shaped our faith. There are others. There are others. You know how I know this? Because you are in here. Why are you here? How are you here? What ancestor in the faith shaped you, showed you, compelled you to walk through those doors or tune in this morning? So take a moment to reflect on this. Take a moment to reflect on this. Who are those ancestors of the faith? And then, if you're comfortable, share a bit about this with a person or maybe something about their story with someone next to you. Preferably someone you don't know very well, but you know, it depends on how shy you are. So um, take some time to reflect on this question, and if you're comfortable, share about this person or their story with someone next to you. I'll give you a few minutes um, to do that.
Got about a minute left. Ten seconds. I love, I love how the room just filled stories and voices of the saints. Uh, what are some of the names of folks that were talked about? Chantal. St. Francis. What you have done now in your sharing is begin the work of cultivating kinship. The names of these people that maybe you heard about for the first time or were reminded of, these are your kin in the faith. And when we share the stories of those folks in our lives, whether we knew them personally or not, who have been faithful, when we learn about these people from others, we are cultivating kinship of faith. Who are your people? These are your people. These are your ancestors in the faith. This kinship enables us, encourages us, and, encourages us, and challenges us to see beyond this present moment. It's more than an interesting genealogy table that gets pulled out from time to time or the wonder that comes from reading your 23andMe results. It is our lifeline and our sustenance. It is a great unbroken cord of faith that runs through the life and ministry of Jesus, a cord on which the stories of the saints hang. And so how will you be a good ancestor? How will your story hang on that cord. I invite you to think about that. And you can begin by reaching up, grabbing hold, and cultivating kinship, a kinship that binds us together by baptism, bread, wine, and God's vision of wholeness of life for all. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks that you have surrounded us by a tremendous, tremendous cloud of witnesses, kin in the faith, who remind us that we don't have to be perfect to be faithful. That what we bring to your work in the world, how deeply we dig to show up for you, that is not just for us or the people like us or even the people in the world today, but that it actually is an investment in those who will come after us. And so we ask God that you would help us in the ways that are ours to be good ancestors, to begin this work and be reminded 
of those ancestors in the faith who planted, who labored, who worked on our behalf without ever knowing our faces or our names. May we live in gratitude for their work and their faith so that those who come after us might live in gratitude for our work and faith. For the glory of your name and your work in this world, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.